You're listening to On the Other Hand, bringing you different perspectives for everyday problems. I'm one of your hosts, Julia Meadows. In this episode, we're picking up where we left off in the last episode on the topic of languages of loving, this time examining the darker side of the ways in which we express love. Listen and enjoy. Speaking your language of loving, part two, the two sides of the same coin. Hi there. You may want to listen to podcast number four before you take up this particular piece. In that podcast, I lay out the groundwork and some of the details for this segment on languages of loving. That said, even though I'm beginning where I left off, you may still find this podcast helpful in its own right. It's worth your while to understand how sometimes we can use the same language of loving to do some regrettable hurting. It's all about translation, so why not start with a story on translation problems? There once was a German university professor who was very proud of his linguistic capacity. He he was famous for being able to speak five languages. It's quite a talent. And the story goes that he invited a well-known American lecturer to address his faculty. In the introduction for this very prominent man, the German wanted to display his colloquialisms. And so he tried to use a famous phrase that, we have heard of you in the spirit, but now we see you in the flesh a fine phrase that may have its origin in the vocabulary of St. Paul. However, the German speaker got a little too literal in his translation and declared, We have heard of you in the wind, but now we see you in the meat. Oops! (laughs) Just a slight twist of the semantic dial and things run off the rails. As I mentioned in the first podcast on this subject, translation is a tricky business and no more so than we're trying to fathom the messages of love we give and receive. You will recall that in that fourth podcast in this series, I mentioned that there are actually six ways we express our love for someone else. Six languages of loving, if you will, and they're mapped out in some detail in a book by Gary Chapman, The Five Languages of Love. Chapman has five, I've added a sixth. To further clarify things, we could divide these languages of loving into two groups, three tangible and three intangible ways of expressing our love. Now we've already run through the tangible languages of loving, but let me summarize them again. First, touch, love that expresses itself in physical contact. Then comes gifting, love that is surprised by joy. The third language of loving I call acts of service guys like this one, we show our love through tangible acts. We clean, we pick up, we build in order to show our devotion and caring. I ended the podcast on this theme with the first intangible form of saying I love you, time. Often preferred by women, this language of loving says, I spend time with you to show you how much I care and love you. And when I'm with you, it's my simple message, you're loved. Now, before I go on to explore the final two languages of loving, it's helpful to remind ourselves that each of these, what we call languages, has its own structure and syntax, just like a spoken language. 
For instance, the man who gifts to show his love is often enticed by surprise, looks for mystery, enjoys magic, finds the searching out of gifting items to be a creative, even nurturing pastime. And the gift, if it is to speak love, has to be spontaneous, freely given, unexpected. I mean, it's all ruined if the giver is being asked to give. Then the loving feels much more like an obligation. And that's just one example. Each language of loving has its own nuances and its own beauty. What I have not yet made clear is that we use specific languages of loving to speak or show our beloved our deep feelings, and we also use the same language to receive love. So for instance, if I use acts of service to tell you that I love you, then you can be sure that it is through acts of service that I will hear most clearly that I am loved. And if I am someone who uses touch to express my loving, for instance, I will understand best that I am loved when I am touched. You see what I mean? Now this is the dicey bit, because not everyone is connected to a person who speaks the same language of loving. Indeed, it's more often a fact that we do not seek out someone who talks our talk. That being the case, there's plenty of room for confusion and broken or bent feelings when we try to express our heart's devotion. Let me explain with a story. I'm a pie maker. I'm pretty good at it, if I do say so myself. In fact, I was once given the title of honorary woman because I could roll out the pastry for a woman's church league that no one else could muster. Before I came along, they'd been making 150 apple pies for sale, but they'd been tossing out the cut-off crust, you know, the part that you, you cut off the pastry before you bake it, is useless. No one could reshape it into anything edible. Well, I took those scraps and made plenty of new pastry shells, and presto, their production went up by 25%. I earned their respect, a new title, got a commemorative rolling pin to prove it. Well, when I met my wife-to-be, Ellen, I thought I would make her an apple pie. I mean, it was fall, she said she liked apples, so no-brainer. Okay, okay, I was showing off a bit. I was wooing her with my flaky pie crust. It's silly now that I think about it, but don't we all put our best stuff forward when we're falling in love? I bake the pie. I mean, it looks spectacular, by the way. I even had this little flower design in dough on the top. <laughs> I cut her a generous slice. I put the plate before her. She sniffed it appreciatingly. And then she peeled back the pastry and ate only the filling. Don't like the crust, she mumbled between bites. How do you spell disappointed? I was crestfallen. She had no idea of what I was offering, of my gift of pastry, and how, turning her nose up at it, she, she not only ignored my work, but had also subverted the very message of affection and pride embodied in that pastry. Well, it's like that with all languages of love. A, a gifter might feel like she is being so affectionate in offering her beloved a set of wine glasses. Now, he might be someone who uses the language of service to express affection, so it would not be surprising if he kind of grunts, says nice things, and, and walks into the kitchen to cook supper. Well, she feels hurt that he didn't enjoy and cherish her gift. He's dumbfounded when she's frustrated and grumpy, not impressed by his offer of dinner. They're both offering love in a foreign language, and so it goes unheard and unappreciated. So if you come to my office to get married, as a pastor, I'll tell you that the challenge in all relationships, at least as we begin them, is to discern what language of love you personally speak and what language does your beloved speak. And don't expect it to be the same. And if you're different, you, you face the very daunting challenge of learning a new language. 
How do I speak touch if I only know time? Now, I know that sounds simple and straightforward, even logical, and I can feel you agreeing with me. Right, I got that one. But it ain't so simple. We may know something intellectually, but love is a matter of the heart. And no matter how I tell myself that my wife doesn't speak my language of loving, I'm still hurt when she doesn't get it. And there's no doubt she feels the same way about me. And how easily we forget, especially after a few years of intimate contact with our beloved, that they speak a different language. We start to take them for granted. We, we go blind to their expressions of loving, and alas, we stop trying to figure it out. Okay, that's a summary of the theory to this point. In the last podcast, we left off at the first intangible language of loving, time. I love you when I take time to be with you. So now let's move on. The second intangible language of loving is in fact actually uttered sound. Call it words of affirmation. There are some people who show their abiding affection by telling their beloved how special they have become. And don't think of empty compliments or false flattery. Those who use words of affirmation to speak love call out of the other the best that is there. It's like shining a light on the superlative side of the person, letting the good shine through. People who speak this language of love regularly express unexaggerated pride and gratitude for the other's gifts, dreams, ambitions, and abilities. It's frank and it's disarming, and you'll know it right away when you hear it. Affirming words people will say things like, you have such a unique talent for joy, or when you speak, there's such a great spirit of laughter in your words, or I'm so proud of you when you exercise your gifts. Wow, I can feel it, can you? It's a sort of look me in the eye straight talk, very refreshing and incredibly loving in the hands of someone who uses words of affirmation to say, I love you. The last language of loving is loyalty. Now this one we all get. I tell you I love you by loving what or who you love. You like pizza? I love pizza. Meryl Streep? Yeah, for sure, I agree with you. She's the best. Oh yeah, there's nothing better than sleeping in on a Saturday morning. I think that too. If you use this language of loving, you show your affection by finding common ground, by joining another in their favorite pursuits. This language of love becomes most evident when there are children in the relationship, or even pets for that matter. I show you I love you by loving your daughter. In caring for your cat, I express my care for you. Sounds a bit bizarre, but ask any parent. Their son or daughter is their best thing. And if you can't love them, then you've got a tough road ahead. And it's hard because there's no way I can love another's child with the same unconditional yearning that they feel. And one of the reasons children keep families together is because of this language of love of loyalty. When times are tough between a couple, I can still express my love for my partner by loving the child we have created. And even if it's not direct, it sends a clear statement to the other parent. So there we have it, six languages of loving, touch, gifting, acts of service, time, words of affirmation, and loyalty. And the big question is, which is yours? That's not a rhetorical question. Think about it. Spend some time tickling it out of your partner. This kind of knowledge is so valuable, for it will help you to avoid some missteps and a good deal of misunderstanding. Now for the shadow side of languages of loving. We can also use them to hate and hurt. 
It is the perverse ability of our heart to unconsciously use the other person's language of love as a way to subvert the relationship or score points in a battle of wills that inevitably arises in maturing relationships to hurt. Fighting in your marriage or while you're dating is natural, to be expected, not because people are evil or underhanded, but because the joining of two lives, even for a casual or short time, requires the orchestration of power. And by power, I don't mean coercion or forceful control. Each individual has their own power, their capacity to effect change in their life and the world. Call it agency, if you like. Put two people together and you have a clash of agencies. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what? Who concedes? And who concedes what? And who accommodates? And how do decisions get made? And how do differences get resolved? Even if we're just going to McDonald's, we have to figure out those kinds of dynamics. And they happen between all people as we express our love and our joy in companionship. And when we can't agree, or when we have given away too much, or have lost control of our own sense of our own agency, well, that's when fights occur. Best to recall this, all relationships have sparks that ignite the fire of animosity. Maybe it's about finances, the way your partner spends their money or our money. Or maybe it's about jealousy or the interference of a friend or an old boyfriend or girlfriend. Or perhaps it's neglect. We're always fighting about how I left, feel left out or, or tardiness. You never come on time or manipulation. I never feel like I get to the end of things before you twist it. These are the sparks. They're the surface stuff, usually not the real issue. Even though we feel them strongly at the time and we expend countless hours debating them, they're more like an excuse, the surface battles. But the real conflict is deeper down and it's usually about the clash of power dynamics. Now, wait a minute here, now this is not a podcast on relationships, perhaps we'll do that later on. Right now we're talking about languages of loving and how we can use them to hurt and hate. What happens in a fight is that I unconsciously, and often all too accurately, twist the other's language of love against them. Let's say my partner is all about touch. So when we fight, I withdraw. I can feel myself backing up. I punish her by not allowing her to get close, by not allowing her to touch me. I might even leave the room where we are. That'll show you. A gifter can be hurt easily by someone. All you have to do is ignore or belittle their gift. Or worse, give it away to someone else. Break it or make fun of it. I've seen that happen. A man who takes his wife's gift of a tie and sends it to the church rummage sale. How else can you say, you're not important to me anymore? Acts of service, that's also an easy one. A woman may not actually realize consciously that her husband is using acts of service to say I love you, but when conflicts arise and the heat increases, it's uncanny how quickly she'll complain about the things that aren't done or aren't done properly or how unhelpful something is that he did. Time? Is that your language of love? You can be punished when someone uses time as a way to say, I'm withdrawing from you. I'm never joining in. I don't have time to be with you. Wicked, you know, we can be very wicked. The flames of hatred can burn so quickly and thoroughly. So that's a further reason to know what is your language of love and that of your partner. It's to consciously examine the ways it can be subverted and to the best of our ability to avoid doing that very thing. It's never easy, but awareness is the first step so we don't turn a backyard bonfire into a fatal conflagration. That's it. Languages of Loving. Until next time, this is Christopher Levan from Collie Street United Church wishing you a good day.
Thank you for listening to the fifth episode of On the Other Hand. We hope you enjoyed both parts of the Languages of Love series. Leave a comment on our SoundCloud or Facebook page telling us which language of love you speak. It's a fascinating topic and we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'll be back soon in the next few days with a new episode on something completely different, so remember to check out our Facebook page to follow updates, as well as our page in the iTunes store, where you can download episodes for free to listen to on your mobile devices. Both can be found on our main SoundCloud page. This was On the Other Hand. Thanks for listening.